0: Good morning. I'm glad glad to be up here today and to talk to you about how we have been graciously gifted by God. I count it a, a great privilege to be up here. Anytime I have the opportunity to present the Word of God, we're going to be in Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. While you're turning there, have you ever been on a team before? Uh, a team that is completely dependent upon every person doing their part to achieve a certain outcome. Uh, sports aren't quite an apples-to-apples apples comparison of what I'm talking about because one player can completely take over the game depending on the sport that you're playing. Uh, one, a perfect illustration of this, of a team the way I'm talking about, is the dreaded group project. Uh, Have any of you ever been there before where you're in class and the teacher announces, class, we're going to do a project, but we're going to break up into groups? Uh, I detested group projects. I just absolutely did. And I remember uh, I was taking a class in Michigan, uh, that's where I grew up, called Michigan History. Uh, basically where you learn about uh, the state flower, the state flag, the, the state frog, the state anything. Whatever it is, you, you learn about that and uh, you get your state education that way. And I remember towards the end of the year, one of our final projects was this group project. And we, what we had to do, we could come up with one of our own ideas. And I remember, for some odd reason, I don't remember why we came up with this idea. I'm saying that on the preface so you understand what I'm about to say. Uh, we decided that we were going to explore the geology of the state of Michigan. I know, very exciting topic, right? A group of seventh graders. And so what we were going to do is we were going to collect different soil samples from across the state. Uh, The western side, the eastern side, the northern side, and the southern side. And we were going to get all of these on our spring break vacation. We were all going to different places, and we were going to come back on that Monday and put together Uh, our presentation. Now if you've ever been in a classroom that announces they're going to have a group project and immediately you're checking the landscape, right? You're looking around, you're uh, taking, you're you're looking at the people that you want to be in the project with you. Uh, You're looking also, if we're honest with ourselves, at the people you don't necessarily want on the project team with you. Uh, But unfortunately for me, and I identified this one person that I didn't necessarily want and he was one of my good friends and I loved Mike. Uh, but Mike couldn't get anything in on time to save his life, and he was always losing stuff. He was always doing this. He was my good friend, uh, but I didn't want my project to be lost, And so, uh, but wouldn't you have it, Mike ended up on my team, and so we decided that we were going to go through with this plan, this project. We came back on Monday. And uh, we're in study hall before our class. We're putting together uh, the parts of our presentation. We were going to put all of the soil uh, in this glass jar, and it was going to show the different sections from the different states. We thought that was so cool. Shows kind of how nerdy we were as kids, I guess. Uh, but we were all about that. And then when it came time for the dirt dump, we all brought out our sand, our dirt, and this panic look came over Mike's face. Yes, you guessed it. Mike had forgot to get the dirt. And the place that he had, was going to was, had white sand, and it was going to be the, the most beautiful part of our entire presentation. And it was three hours away. And so I wanted to look at him, and I wanted to say, dude, you had one job, right? Your job wasn't even complicated. It was just getting a cup of dirt. You had one job. And sometimes, if we're honest, We've messed up. We've been given one job uh, and we failed in that task. Well, today Paul is going to encourage us with something. We have one job that we've been given. uh, The one role that's ours to own in this Christian life. Uh, you see, throughout the book of Acts, uh, we see and pa- uh, pastor has laid this out beauti- beautifully for us. We see gifted people being used in a powerful way to really uh, build his church. Uh, we see uh, that God is using these gifted people to do that. God uses the uh, people like Peter to preach the first uh, church planning sermon. Uh, And we see thousands of people uh, come to Christ. We see how God uh, assigned Aquila and Priscilla to do the discipleship, and they're discipling people like the Apostle Paul. Uh, God is using those gifts to build his church. We see how God raised up encouragers like uh, Barnabas. He uses missionaries like uh, John Mark and servants like Stephen and the thing I love about if you read the epistles, Paul will just have these random names kind of scattered at the end. We see it in Romans 16, and you'll see it in other places where he doesn't even say what that person did. He just uh, throws this list out there. But do you know what? God, Paul is using those names because those are people that impacted him through his through their service personally. But then those names are etched in the Scripture, and we see the lasting impact that those people had in the early church. These perp- these people in the early church knew their one job, they knew the role that they had been given, the giftings they were equipped with, and they did those things to, to build the church. Now a public service announcement, Mother's Day, uh, is this next Sunday, all right? So if you haven't gotten your gift yet, here, here's a little advice. Uh, whether it's uh, your gift for uh, your, your, your husband, you're getting a gift, or you're a son or a daughter. I've noticed that there are two extremes when it comes to gift giving. Uh, either you're over here and the, the better the gift is, the more practical the gift. If I use the gift every day, for me, this is, this is where I am, uh, the more practical the gift, the better the gift for me. right? If I'm using it every day, it's a great gift. However, there's another extreme where we don't take practicality into uh, account at all. Uh, they would say the more extravagant the gift, right, the nicer the gift. Uh, it's, it, if, it's, uh, if the gift is something that I wouldn't buy myself, uh, that is a good gift. But what Paul shows us in Romans chapter 1 through 11, we see that God is the perfect gift giver. Uh, he gave us a gift immensely practical that it solved the greatest need that mankind had. Sin, while at the same time, it was immensely extravagant in that it, his grace was lavished upon us through his son. Now, have you ever given a gift that wasn't received well, uh, where you felt like you researched the gift, you had it, and you were just anticipating, you almost wanted to give it to him early because you thought you had knocked it out of the park, only to give that gift and the reaction isn't what you thought it was going to be, and you're, it was it was almost disappointment. Uh, Or maybe you saw the gift kind of laying out there in the corner and uh, dust is collecting on it, and you just want to grab that gift and re-gift it to somebody that's actually going to use it. As I said before, God is a great gift giver, a perfect gift giver, and he's given us the perfect gift. But how are we stewarding the gift and role that God has given to us? We have one job. And Paul is going to walk through a letter of encouragement in chapter 12 that he wrote to some believers. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What Paul is saying is that everything that God has done for us in the gospel, uh, everything that he has saved us from, everything uh, that he has done for us in our lives, we should uh, offer our lives up without reservation to him. Because he has shown us that he is worthy of our complete devotion. That's chapters 1 through 11 in Romans. And he's going to spend the following five chapters painting a picture of us of what the living sacrifice life looks like. And you know, when he's telling us, describing this living sacrifice life, he begins with our service towards others. The living sacrifice life begins uh, with our service for others. Look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. So, what Paul is going to do here is he's going to pull the curtain back on this uh, topic known as spiritual gifts. He's going to have this discussion on spiritual gifts, and if uh, you're like me, you grew up in in the youth group that I attended, we took, I remember our youth pastor gave us a seven-page spiritual gifts test, and like we had just gotten out of school, and we're kind of going to youth group, kind of just wanting to hang out, kind of uh, hear the word of God, and uh, we get this seven-page spiritual gifts test, and I'm like, what do I do? I'm just kind of filling in bubbles, like it's asking me these different traits and different things, and uh, I took the test like five times, and I got five different spiritual gifts. All right, so needless to say, I was immensely confused as a kid, thinking that I somehow had to first figure out what my gifting was before I could practice, before I could be functional in the body of Christ. And if you're outside of church, uh, maybe this is your first time here, uh, never really experiencing church, and you hear the, the, the phrase spiritual gifts, you're probably thinking, man, what kooky or uh, spooky thing did I get into today? But you see, we've overcomplicated this idea of spiritual gifts. I think we've made it something where you have to take this test or jump through these hoops and you can't serve until uh, you, you do that first. And we use more steps and more hoops than is actually necessary. That's why I love Romans chapter 12 in these verses. Because Paul isn't just gonna give us the what, Paul isn't just gonna give us the how, he's gonna give us the why behind our service. And that's where we need to begin. In order to understand the what and the how, we need to understand why we have been given these gifts. The first thing we see in this passage is that the Christian life is an exercise of grace. Verse 3, For I say through the grace that is given unto me to every man that is among you, uh, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul has just spent 11 chapters talking about grace, talking about grace, talking about grace, and and the deepest way that you can talk about it. And then he gets to chapter 12, and he brings us all the way back around to grace. He brings up grace. He starts the practical component of this chapter with talking about grace. See, and instead of helping us learn theology, what Paul is getting at here is he's trying to get us to live the theology that we know. He's telling us to live out the gospel that has drastically changed your life. See, it was grace that caused God to look down on a fallen mankind and send his son to this earth. To live a perfect life and to reconcile a relationship that we had broken. It was the grace that uh, caused Jesus to leave heaven, to come to earth, to live that perfect life. It was the grace of the gospel that allows me to have eyes to see and enter into this relationship with the Father. It's grace. It's grace. And if you're like me, do you remember that day when you partook of the grace of God in your life? The wonder, the excitement that was there? But there's something that occurs in the Christian experience where grace in our life loses its edge, right? And the things that we once did out of a heart that's just overflowing in grace, our life turns into this obligatory thing that we come to church on Sunday, we serve, and we've lost track of why we do what we do. Can I remind us it's grace. Can remind me that in those moments of struggle where uh, you're serving out of obligation, go back to that moment in your life where you stood in desperation for God to work and move in your life. It's grace that Paul points to in verse 3. All of our hope hinges upon that grace. What does Paul say? The gospel teaches us to think rightly about ourselves. Paul uses a word uh, soberly. And in the Greek, it has the idea of to think accurately, uh, to, to think sanely, to be in your right mind about yourself. Isn't that funny that pride in the Bible is equal to insanity? Because it's an improper view of who you are, and sometimes we can go through church life and our Christian life and be spiritually insane because we forget who we are. Because just as you were dependent on God's grace to save you, you are now dependent on God's grace to sustain you. May we we never be a church that loses the wonder and awe and gratitude and desperation of grace in our life. That's where our service has to start and that's where our service has to flow from. Do you view yourself as desperate for his grace, as desperate for his presence because the Christian life is a continual exercise of grace secondly we do not have the same role but we all have some role look at verse 5 so we uh, being many are one body in christ and everyone members one of another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith Not all of us are going to be gifted in the same things the same way. All that you have to do is uh, look around the room and you see people that are different from you. Not just uh, different looking, they are different in their gifts and their talents. Uh, Not everyone has the gift of preaching. Some of you are thinking, Ryan, thank you for being a point illustrated today. Uh, Not everyone is meant to lead from the front. Not everyone. Some people are called to be behind the scenes and that's okay. We're not all called to the same gift, but we do all have a gift. There are certain things that I have a knack for. There are certain areas that God has gifted me that fall into my specific skill set. However, I'll say in the same breath that there are things that God has not gifted me in. Uh, There are things that uh, me serving in would be a big mistake. Uh, For for instance, one of those things is uh, that would be that uh, one of the areas that I'm really weak in is nobody would ever ask me to be on the proofing channel or, or anything that has to deal with spelling or language uh, because uh, 11th grade English was the best three years of my life. And I say that tongue in cheek, but I am very poor at proofing, I'm very poor a- at that. And the worship team, right, the worship team, I, when I sing, I make a joyful noise, right? And it is, it is just that. And uh, I have a very limited range, and it is very easy for me to quickly wander outside of my range. I sit in that back section if you're ever wanting uh, for a good laugh. Um, Not all of us have the same gift, but we do all have a gift. And you know what? I find that we have an immensely talented staff. Uh, we have a, a diverse staff with different gifts. I think of uh, Pastor Aaron and Pastor X. They have the gift and ability to sit down with somebody and listen to the, the problems and for that person to feel like they are heard in a very powerful way. And uh, what I just did was I filled up their agendas for the next two weeks here. Um, then you have people like if I ever end up in the hospital, right, the person that I want to come to the hospital and visit me is David Stamp. You have no idea. This guy loves people. He's one of the most compassionate, merciful people. If anything, if I'm ever struggling with anything financial, God has clearly gifted Steve Smith in that area. We have a gifted staff. But you know what? We also have a gifted congregation. What encourages me so much about Rosedale is the fact that many of you have taken up the mantle of ministry in your own life and you are actively serving and making an impact here at the church. In fact, I look at many of the outreach ministries that we've started as a church and how they really were birthed out of a vision and a heart uh, that a person in our congregation had for a specific part in our community. And that person uh, took upon them, they grabbed along others, and they are actively serving the Lord. We don't all have the same gift, but we do all have a gift That's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians that one of the main roles of the pastor in the church is is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Our job is to equip, to facilitate, to empower. So our jobs are not going to be the same. The way God wires me is not going to be the way that God wires you. And the point is that we don't have the same role, but we all have a role. So we need to work here as a church to create a culture where not just that everybody counts within the ministry, but everybody contributes. Look at verse five. "So we being many, are a one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. We are members one of another. But Paul likes to continually use in Romans and Ephesians this illustration of the body, the fact that what happens to one body part does affect the other parts of the body. You know this if you have kids, and uh, my kids have these blocks called Legos, right? And at night, it gets dark. They're supposed to put away their Legos in this giant red box, but they don't always make it back into the box. And so when I go downstairs and I make that uh, walk across the carpet to the laundry room, sometimes the Legos are not put away, and you can guess it. I'm stepping, and I step, and I instantly regret one of my steps. Because I have a Lego that's puncturing in my foot. And immediately the foot is communicating to the brain, uh-oh, there's something that's wrong. My foot feels like it's impaled. And then the brain is uh, communicating to the rest of the body, uh, the, the, the foot is unavailable at the moment. And the hand is communicating to the foot, oh, I've got to gri- console the foot, console the foot. And you're jumping up and down. I almost fell over. Uh, and then jumping up and down on the other foot, you have this communication. And then the brain communicates to the mouth to say the words, Praise the Lord, right? That's what comes out of every single one of our mouths. Praise the Lord. What one member of the body does, it affects all the other members of the body. So when you serve in the church, you're not just impacting yourself. You're impacting the body of Christ. Can I say it this way? When we don't serve, we are not just impacting ourselves; We're impacting the rest of the body. And I mean this with all sincerity. We need each other. We need each other. Thirdly, what we see is pride can keep us from practicing our role. Look at verse 3. Pride can keep us from practicing practicing our role we'll get to verse three but the context of this passage in romans is the church in rome that paul was writing to was dealing with some serious unity issues and these unity issues were birthed out of the fact that the church in rome was formed with jews and gentiles and the jews during this time were uh, they they spent their lifetime observing religious laws and principles and all these different regulations in the old testament And so they prided themselves in that. But the Gentiles were, uh, they were very eclectic and pluralistic in their uh, religious beliefs. Uh, They believed a lot of different things. And it's kind of like, hey, don't you just kind of go with the flow? You believe that, that's good for you. I believe this, that's good for me. And they, they elevated themselves and now Jews and Gentiles had become believers in Christ and they're occupying the same building and they're trying to somehow uh, come put their former life together with this new life that they have in Christ and it really is a formula for conflict. And Paul knew that uh, there were some in the church of Rome that carried a sense of entitlement and superiority into the congregation that they were in. There were some Jews that felt superior to Gentiles, and there were some Gentiles that felt superior to Jews. They themselves were thinking, in Paul's words, thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to. And what is Paul's response to this conflict? Look at verse 3. He says, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, that's the word accurately or sanely, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, a lot of people assume that measure of faith here means that God has given uh, different, uh, uh, different amounts of faith to use and that Paul is telling us that our opinion uh, of ourselves ought to be on how much faith we have. But really, that opinion is to uh, misunderstand what the word metron is used here. That's the Greek word measure here. And it's where we get our word meter from. And you think about a meter, it means a standard of measurement. Uh, we don't have three different meters, right? We have one meter, and uh, it's a unit. It's a standard for membership what, or for measurement. Paul is saying that God has given you the same faith. Paul has given you the same, or God has given you the same spirit. Uh, God has given you, uh, the, you're, you're bought and paid for by the same finished work of Christ. You are covered in the same righteousness of Christ, and that makes us profoundly equal in God's eyes. Each of us uh, possesses the same righteousness, uh, but how how does this pride manifest itself in the church today? Uh, There was this Greek and Gentile conflict going on there. There's a lot of great things about being in a church our size right? We have a, a, a lot of, we have a lot of people. We have a lot of different options. We have a lot of ministry opportunities. We have a lot of groups. We have a lot of different things we can dive into and choose. We have comfortable chairs. We have a big, beautiful auditorium. But if we're not careful, these good things can produce within us a spirit of entitlement, where we feel like when we come into church, uh, we are somehow entitled to these things. And no longer do we have an attitude of, I'm looking to serve other people. I come to church to be served. And what I'll tell you is entitlement will kill a church. Entitlement will kill a body of believers. When we, feel, when we walk into a church and we, we look at how we can be served instead of how we can serve others. We know there's an opposite end to this entitlement. It seems like a paradox. Uh, Something that can be pervasive in a church our size. We can give off the appearance sometimes that we are a well-oiled machine. right? We can give the appearance that we got it all put together. And it can be a little intimidating if you come into a church. It can be like, when? Where can I serve? How can I get involved in what God is doing here? In fact, you're not sure how God uh, has a use for you in this church. I'm not only afraid of uh, this entitlement, uh, we, we tend to f- try to figure out where, there's no room for me. Someone to explore their gifts and how to, know, how to know how to serve. But if you're newer to Rosedale, can I ease your conscience real quick? If you're struggling with this, if you're, you're struggling with finding a place here at the church, I, first of all, if you say that we're a well-oiled machine, I would say, begin by saying thank you, right? That's a very nice thing to say, but I will say, also say this, that that just isn't the case. Pastor says it all the time. We are an imperfect church with, an Im, with imperfect leadership, with imperfect people trying to serve a perfect Savior. And so if, if the reason for you not serving is like, man, I don't think I could ever rise to the level, we need you. We need each other. I'll say this lastly, so the Christian life is an exercise of grace. We do not have the same role, but we all have some role, and pride can keep us from practicing our role, but also I want to encourage you, don't just discover your role, dive in. Don't just discover your role, dive in. I'm not speaking against spiritual gift tests, right? I'm not speaking against trying to actively discern your role, but if discerning your role discerning your gift is keeping you on the sidelines and not serving stop it dive in serve simultaneously discern how god has gifted you what does paul say in verse six having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the uh, the proportion of faith Paul says a phrase there, let us, and if you read the subsequent verses where Paul is going to talk about these gifts, he says, let us, let us, let us. Essentially, what Paul is saying there is just do it, right? Do it. Stop, Stop questioning. Use your gift. Dive in. Serve. Again, different ones of us have different gifts, but we all have some gift. Paul is making us, giving us a plea to forget about waiting to figure it out until, uh, waiting to serve until you figure it out. I'm not saying we don't try to discern our gifts, but I am saying if discerning keeps you on the sidelines, dive in and discern. Now, it's not unreasonable to to know and hear. I want to talk about how many of you know the church has needs, right? If you've been in, in church any amount of time, the church is always in need of volunteers. And some of you, that has been your uh, volunteer calling card. Like basically, anytime a need arises, you've filled that need. And you've gone from need to need to need to need to need. And today, you are no longer serving because you're burnt out. You, you've been fulfilling roles that aren't in line with things that you're passionate about, with things that you're gifted in. Uh, Now, I I will say, we were, as a staff, moving somebody uh, into their house in Baltimore, uh, I think it was this past summer, and I was a little late on arrival, and when I arrived there, uh, Dan Grant was already uh, in the truck, kind of organizing and maneuvering. If you ever have moved with Dan Grant, you need one uh, when you move, and so uh, you can't have ours, we have him. Uh, Dan Grant is, is essential. And then you have Aaron Burden over here lifting a couch on this arm, lifting a couch on this arm, kind of carrying him around like, where do you want them? And then you have me, right? I'm the toiletry guy. Uh, I'm the guy that grabs the lamp, the light stuff, my, my, I know, my thin frame, right? And I'm the guy that just kind of is, is there to pack the, the, the lights, delicate stuff on top. And so I arrive there and I ask the dreaded question that I probably shouldn't have asked is, what do you need? right? Famous last words. And they were like, well, upstairs we have a bed. And I'm like, okay, the mattress, that'll just slide right down those stairs. And like, so I'm kind of happy about this. It looks big, right? I'm going to move something. And I get up there only to find out it's a sleep number type bed, right? And those of you that have a sleep number know how heavy those things are. And so instead of being the hero in this story, I'm the guy that's struggling to get this thing so it doesn't crush me down the stairs, And you know what? I filled the need. I made it out alive. Uh, I filled that need. But do you know that a steady diet of filling needs, filling needs, that's not the way I was created. I was not created to lift a lot of heavy things. Over time, if I don't slip a disc or uh, herniate a disc or do all manner of things to my back, I'm going to burn out. And some of you, that's how you feel. You've been moving a sleep number bed in, your, in the church for years and you've never once considered that need needs to line up with passion. And if you're not passionate about what you're serving and it's only a matter of time before you're going to flame out and burn out. I'm not saying that we don't meet needs. I'm saying we don't meet needs alone without trying to discover our passion. Don't just fill a need, find a passion. I want to quickly end with what happens when we serve others. We're going to fly through these. We, first of all, we display our love for God. First John is all about how we have experienced the love of God and uh, we then show that we love God by the way we love other people. Uh, what happens when we serve others? We display our love for God. And for those of you that are OCD, you're going to be very upset with me on this point. I'm going to take this point and move it towards the end so you can draw an arrow uh, if that helps you. Uh, the third point is we grow in our faith. Sometimes we, we feel like our serving, it helps other people, right? Our serving is for others. But the reality of the situation is when we serve, we grow ourselves, we grow because we're, it's part, service is part of the Christian experience. It's part of the DNA of the believer. It's what you were designed for. When you serve others, you're operating and living with how you were designed to live. Lastly, not only do we display our love for God, we grow in our faith. And uh, or thirdly, we find joy and fulfillment in life. We don't serve because God wants something from us. We serve because God wants something for us. God wants you to experience a life more abundant, and it is found in operating, living, and uh, the way you live your life, and with the purpose that you were created for. The last one is: we make a difference in our community. When we serve, we make a difference. One of the things I have the privilege to do is, I get to make calls for the cards that we have for people that are interested in taking steps within our ministry. Uh, Post Easter is always a a great time. It's always a busy time, but I'm making a lot of calls. And one of the thing, one of the conversations that I had on the phone, just it really just moved me to tears. And I was so excited uh, when I found out that I was serving, because this is a perfect illustration of what our service counts for. one of the ladies uh, that I called, she uh, had said that she was interested in groups in serving, but really it was much more than that. Uh, she was looking for a church home, and she didn't even know it when she came here on Easter. I, I, I asked her to kind of describe her overall experience like I do with a lot of first-time guests, and she describes being greeted before she even like, got into the building out in the parking lot. And she was greeted by somebody, and one of the things that she pointed out to me is that this person genuinely wanted to know her. Like she had, this person had never met them before, but genuinely cared about her. And then the connections worker took her and her daughter and walked them over to our, our kids' registration, and the way she described this person, I knew exactly who that connections worker was. And she describes how her daughter was very apprehensive about going and being separated from her mom in the children's ministry, uh, but just the kind and compassion children's workers that we had showed her love, and she went in there and heard a very clear gospel message. But then the mother came in here to this service, and she didn't know that at that moment what the greatest need of her life was about to be met in that moment she sat through the worship, the choir special, all the different serving points that we were doing as a ministry in that moment to eliminate distractions so people could hear a clear gospel message. And she told me that the real reason she filled out that card is because she accepted Christ as her Savior. <laughs> Can I tell you that that's what it's all about? And I just got off the phone and I'm thinking to myself, this is before I even knew that I was speaking on serving. And I'm thinking to myself, that's the team. Right? We're the team in here. That's the team working together to bring about, through God's Spirit, the work in another individual's life. That life will forever be changed because on Easter Sunday, people chose to serve. Pointing people to not our gift, but the giver of that gift and serving out of a heart of grace. Maybe today you're thinking, Ryan, I'm on the sidelines right now, and I've realized that I need to get in the game. Uh, we want to make it as simple as possible. We've given out uh, serve cards, and what I'd encourage you, point number three or point number four, dive in. Maybe you don't know your gift, but you see some uh, interest on your card. Just mark those and just dive in. It's not you committing to anything; it's just you looking for more information about that ministry. But dive in, get involved, have a spot on the team. We have one job. How are we doing that job? We're happy to help you find that. You know, we serve ultimately because we've been served. We love because we've been loved unconditionally when we could bring nothing to the table. So when we serve, when we love, let us not forget that it ultimately is to point people to Jesus.